millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is The Secret Library, a podcast about writing and publishing books. I'm Caroline Donahue, a life coach who works with writers, and I'm here to tell you this is your year. It's time to stop waiting and start writing. Hey, everybody. Happy December. I wanted to let you know with the holidays rapidly approaching that I have made you a little present. I have written up a guide and a worksheet for a concept that I've used with private clients and in my group coaching program called Meaningful Units, which is a way to measure and track your writing progress and get your draft done. If you'd like to download your free copy, you can do so at secretlibrarypodcast.com. So I hope you really enjoy it and that it's helpful to you. Happy writing and let's get on with the show. This is episode 80. My guest today is Sandra Schofield, who is the author of seven books, including Beyond Deserving, a finalist for the National Book Award, and A Chance to See Egypt, winner of a Best Fiction Prize from the Texas Institute of Letters. She's written a memoir, Occasions of Sin, and a book of essays about her family, Mysteries of Love and Grief, Reflections on a Plain Woman's Life. Her most recent book of fiction is Swim, Stories of the 60s. She's also author of two books on the craft of writing, The Scene Book, A Primer for the Fiction Writer, and out now, The Last Draft. She is on the faculty of the Solstice MFA program in creative writing at the Pine Manor College and has for many years taught at the University of Iowa Summer Writing Festival. She lives in Missoula, Montana and Portland, Oregon. I'm so excited to have Sandra on because for a long time I used to carry her book, The Scene Book, with me to cafes and work through the exercises and found them incredibly helpful. It's also a book that's come up in writing workshops I've taken. So as soon as I saw she had another writing book coming out, I was dying to get her on and I was so happy that Sandra was a good sport and willing to come on the show. I really, really love talking to her about writing and the process of writing as someone who's both taught writing and has written so many books herself. I know you're going to get so much out of listening to Sandra, and I'm thrilled to have her Hi, on. Sandra. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. I was so excited to see that you had another book on craft coming out because I toted the scene handbook with me. I still do. I have it in my little writing shelf right behind me where I'm sitting with the adorable cover, and it was so helpful. That book was so helpful to me. See me grinning. I just, I, I love it. People come up to me sometimes and say, "Oh, you, you did the scene book, and it, it was just like you were talking to me." And it just, it, it really is great because that's exactly why I wrote both these books is for people that aren't in MFA programs and don't, you know, necessarily have access to a lot of instruction. Um, and something they could do um, when they have time. Exactly. It's And it's so cute for anyone. We'll link to it. But it's it looks like a little composition book, that one. And um, I haven't seen... Oh, no, I have seen the, the, the final drafts cover, and it's very cute, too. So 
you've definitely lucked out with the covers, but um, I, I read the digital copy. But I think one of the things that I love about this book, and I wanted to talk about how you managed to pull this off, which is that many books about craft end up coming off as kind of restrictive or they can be scary and this is the way you do it and there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I think I love the way that you present things, which is here are some ways you can think about it and you find the best way for you. So I'm interested in hearing more about your philosophy around craft and how craft can be useful and not scary. Well, I think, well, it's a couple of things. The the first thing is that I didn't come through like an MFA program or any, any kind of university study. I, I just started writing one day. So, so Whatever I know about writing, I've learned by studying books, by you know reading and trying to figure out what, how, and why they've done things, and then giving names to those things. So I realized, you know, I, I mean, I didn't start teaching anything in writing for a long time. So by the time I started teaching, it, it's like I had my own kind of system. But I realized that. I did different things with different books. And so that helped me when I started working with um, writers to, that they're going to have their own way of approaching their story and they're going to have their own way of writing and revising. But I can give them a lot of information and ideas that I've seen work for me and my students and they can choose what, what they need. And it's I think it's just natural to me you know i i once taught i taught um many years ago and the last year that i taught was second grade Mm. and i loved second grade and it's not i mean it's it's similar you know you go in and you say here's what we're doing today and immediately second graders have something to say you know and they they have their own ideas about how that should go and uh, so when I started writing with writers, working with writers, I figured it was going to be very similar, and it is. Um, and and when I when I worked on writing the scene book, um, I very deliberately t- tried to write it as if I w- were talking to the reader, mm. you know, to keep it co- sort of conversational. I I d- didn't want it to be like very tightly instructive I, I wanted it to be reassuring and and, I, and it's the same thing with the book on uh, revising the novel I want it, you know I want to say this is you know this is hard work there's a lot that you have to do um, it can go in a lot of different directions but you'll find your way and here's some of the paths yeah, I love the image, um, and it, it makes sense to think that you've taught, you know, younger children as well, because the image of kind of the the Lego blocks of different mm-hmm. components that could be in a book, I really loved, and that, you know, if you think of narrative summary or scene or different components, that different books are going to have different amounts of that, and that that's okay. There isn't like a better way to go with that. Right, and and. I was surprised when I looked at all the books that are out there. There are a lot of wonderful books on writing, but um, there's not there's not very much said to writers about 
interiority, for example, writing about what characters are thinking and, and feeling emotionally. Mm. I mean, that's so much what you go to a short story or a novel for, but what is it? And, and is that something you have control of or that you can revise rather than just having it be um, something that happens automatically or magically? I had to figure those things out, and so I thought, I bet people out there are having to figure them out too. I think so. I mean, I think that's something that's really tricky for people to get hold of because we have such a strong message. I think that's passed culturally. I wouldn't say I've heard from people who've had it kind of said to them in an education setting as well. I didn't have this, but that you kind of either know what you're doing or you don't like you're either a natural writer or it's never going to happen for you. And, and that to me is so heartbreaking because I think it's a skill. It is. And, and everybody starts out as an apprentice. I, I um I just got home after a trip and and so I had the New Yorkers piled up for me. Oh yeah. <laughs> working my way through the New Yorkers while I'm eating lunch and so forth. And so I just read today there's a a new I, I don't know what you would call it but it, there's a place in Red Cloud, Nebraska now where Willa Cather lived and wrote that um is devoted to, you know, a library and so forth. 10,000 tourists a year go there. I was so surprised. And when, and in the article, it, it made reference, as he was talking about it, he, the author talked about her early work and her later work. And I thought, you know, Willa Cather, oh, I love Willa Cather. But she started out writing stories that, you know, have clumsy places in them. Yeah. And, you know, she didn't start out as Willa Cather. She just started out as someone starting to write. I mean, she was pretty fast and she was pretty good. Um, and, and I also just was rereading The Wide Sargasso Sea mm. in Reese. And, and it was saying that she, she wrote and... I think it was like years before she started to sell, and then she and she sold several novels, and then it was years and years again before she sold something. So and, and right up to like when she died, she was still, you know, writing and writing and writing and and, and revising and revising and revising um, the White Sargasso so Sea. Um, it, it's a it's a real lesson to to think. I mean, I think as a writer, you have to have some sort of confidence. You have to think, I can do this. I'm, I'm willing to work hard, and I'll be patient, and it'll take however long it takes. But, uh, but also to be humble and say, I have so much to learn, and the only way to learn it is to read and write. Yes. I mean, that's it. You read, and you read as a writer, um, which Francine Prose wrote wonderfully about in reading like a writer. And you write as a reader, <laughs> writing what someone would want to read. And as long as just keep keep the sense that someone is out there, I think that helps a lot. Yeah, and that it's somebody who will be kind. I think the thought of a kind reader yeah. is very inspiring. Right, a kind reader. I like that concept too. Not, and the truth is, I don't think very many readers are 
are highly critical. They either are interested in what the novel is about or they're not. And, and they'll make that decision based on things like the cover um, or the blurbs on the back. But once they start reading, I think once a reader starts reading a book, she just wants an experience. I'm not trying to judge. She wants to be drawn into a world that the writer has created and to feel what the character is feeling and to set aside whatever is outside the novel during the time that you're reading it. And if you remember that, um, then those are the things you want to create, a, a world, a vision, a tone, a feeling, and, a, and most of all, a connection with the characters, I think. I loved your description of ways to read a book that you admire and to think about um, how the craft is executed like how do they get into a scene how do they get out of it and yeah. to think about it like playing scales or doing exercises over and over again so that you can feel comfortable with that and it, it made so much sense and at the same time I thought why have I never thought of it this way before it makes so much sense yeah, you know when I was first starting trying to learn to write and writing a novel I I would I would read a book and as I was reading um, like with a marker I would when we when I entered a new scene I'd make a line and when I left that scene I, you know I I mean I, I used my books so so then I could look through the whole book and see go scene to scene to scene and then I could say well what's between those scenes mm. and how you know, how did you get into it? How, and that's where that's a really good way to do that is just take a book you like, and uh, you know, as you read it or as you reread it, um, block out those scenes, and then you can study the scenes. Which I think, for most novels, the scenes are the storyline. Um, there are certainly exceptions because there, are, you know, you think about a writer like Margaret Drabble, her, her novels are novels of thought mm. as, as much as action. And so it's an entirely different experience. But I think that in general, American novels are, are focused on the ex, this experience of action um, and, and the emotional connection to the character. But I love novels that have a lot of interiority and digression and philosophy mm. commentary about life and all of those things i i love those things in novels but they have all those things have to be integrated with with the line of action I think I'm going to have to go back and read books with markers now. The way you described it, it was just so, it sounded so fun. You can even go further and have different colored markers. Oh my God, you're just going to play into my stationary addiction. <laughs> I have my students take scenes and underline um, action sentences in one color and feeling and thinking in another color. And it really, like one time I had a, um, a student who wanted to, he was a retired doctor and he wanted to write medical thrillers. Mm. And he really, he had a really good story 
And, um, he, you know, I, so I took a couple chapters and I had him do that. And, and then I said, okay, red is for action. And then I said, okay, now go through and see what proportion of red lines you have on your page. Because a thriller is about action. It's about things happening. And sure enough, he'd say, oh my gosh, on page three, I have lines of action and then I don't have any more action for two pages. Uh-oh. And you can see it, you know, it's like holding it in your hand. Do it, you'll love it. Oh, I can't wait. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, there's something just so appealing about seeing the structure of it play out on the page. And seeing it because, you know, we're so used to looking at book pages and it's, you know, a white page with black text on it. And that's what we're used to. But, and then there's all this color in your mind because you're imagining what's happening, but to see the sort of DNA of the, the book and how it's unfolding just sounds amazing. And, and a really good way to start is with a really good young adult novel Mm. or, children's novel and I I'm not so much talking about the vampire and the you know blah 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 that that is popular now but the you know classic YA novels that are are children you know older children's books even a middle school book a really good book you know Island of the Blue Dolphin something like that it's a wonderful novel to analyze at least once a year, I go back and read something from my childhood um, because it's so it's, it's a it's a kind of clean experience, you know, in, in terms of being a writer reading a book that you see this this you know very clear structure. I I highly recommend it. No, I like it. I think it's. It's actually funny. So there's a piece of advice, or not even advice, but something she shared with me. My aunt and I are huge readers. And sometimes, you know, when you get to that point where you've, you're just like not, nothing's catching. Like you pick up a few books and you're like, mm, I think I'm going to want that. And you're like, no, I just can't settle in. And uh, she said when she gets into that mode, she'll sometimes just read a couple of Nancy Drews. And then it like clears the plate. And then you can go back into a new novel. And you're like, okay, good. I can read this now. I just I just bought a new copy of Little Women. I decided oh. I'm just going to save it. I I go to Boston um, for ten days for the, this MFA retreat, and and so I've got a long plane ride both ways, and and then I have some, you know free time in the evenings, and I thought I'm going to I'm going to take that book and, and reread it um, because it's it you know it's it's classic narrative structure. And um, not, and not fancy. It's just wonderful. Um, I think it'll inspire me. I think so. One thing also that you talked about that I thought was really great is that we've all received that bit of advice, like show, don't tell, you know, and speaking of scenes, you know, that it's always better to be in a scene than in summary. And I think some of what you talked about in the book was kind of undoing the demonization or whatever, or the maybe just the, the second class citizenship that summary can can be allocated. And I wonder if you could say more about well, summary. One, yes, a couple of things. One thing is that summary is efficient. <laughs> and um, there, I mean, there are writers who write novels entirely in, in scenes or primarily in scenes. 
Um, but to get from one scene to the next, I, it, rather than just like, I'm going to have a scene and that's the end of the chapter and now it's the next chapter I picked up a scene, you, you can link them with summaries, not only about, I mean, we, we think of summaries as being the passage of time, and certainly that's one way that you can use summary, but you can also use summary um, as, a, as a way to talk about what, what the character is experiencing emotionally or intellectually, and to, to give us, really to give us information and ideas about character um, without without all the pages that the scene you can't put everything I guess that's what I'm saying you can't put everything you know about the character into scenes the summary is it's a, it's efficient and it can be very beautiful because um, it's not broken the way a scene the scene is broken on the page by dialogue and and shifts in action and so forth but a summary has a has a rhythm and a uh, a kind of arc, and some some writers use it more than others. I think I mentioned in the book that Jim Harrison is is someone who used um, summary really, I think, really beautifully. A lot of popular novelists, I think, use it really well. Certainly, if you're writing um, a novel that has that has a long timeline, you know, uh, something epic or, you know, you have a novel that's covering a lifetime. Well, you can't do that in all scenes. Unless but, it's going to be encyclopedia length. Right. And um, anyway, it has it, it has its own beauty. And, um, and, I, and I think it, um, it gives the, the reader a, a different way to breathe in the book. You know, so so everything is a balance, and some some writers are more seen and less summary, and some are more summary and, and less seen. But I do I do sort of I hate to say this I, I I do think that probably the writers who do who write a lot of summary and do it really well that it is instinctive, it mm. is natural talent, but it also can be learned. You see it a lot more in uh, European and British novels than you do in American, and I don't know. I don't know why that is. That's interesting. It, but you do, and and I I have you know have read a lot of um, books in translation, but also just British. I like British novels, and I think that the expectation of a British reader is that there will be more more thought in the book than, than the expectation of um, the general, sort of general popular American reader. But, you know, we're at, we are at a point right now where the whole concept of what a novel is and what a story is, is exploding. It's, it's, like, it's like fireworks going out. We have so we have so much um, influence now of immigrants, refugees, um, people from different classes and stations and educations and experiences within our own country. I really, I really think that the um, the range of voices right now in the American novel is 
fabulous. And so you're going to see, you know, you're going to see things from one book to another be very different, I think. But I just I just read the list of the National Book Award finalists, and I couldn't, I wouldn't, I can't name them all, but um, they they were so intriguing. I think it's it's fascinating to see that shift because you always you know every few years you see someone saying something like oh the novel is dead or or whatever and to me it couldn't be less dead it feels so relevant and so um, vibrant and there's just more and more exciting things happening with it which is amazing but one I mean one of the things that means is that I you know I think that I really think the nature of the expectation of certainly literary fiction has changed tremendously, you know, generation to generation. And and I think I say this in the book that I, I grew up on a kind of quiet classic version of the novel. And and I and right now I it would be a hard sell, <laughs> you know, a book that is slow or that doesn't have a really big central concept. Um, it's hard, but you have to write. You have to write what you could, what you have to say. So, that, I'm, I I started. I almost hate to say that I, you know, I've been working on a novel very slowly, and it, it's in my mind, but I'm really slow. And all the time that I'm writing, and I'm thinking. I, I hope that there's enough going on in this book to compete with so much excitement in the novel. But, you know, at, at my age and the stage of my career, if I can call it that, it, it's, it's as much for me as anything. It's just, yeah, if the story bugs me for a year or two, then I'm, I've got to write it down. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think it has to be for the person writing it as much as it is for anyone else, doesn't it? Because you spend so much time and working you, on it. And you have no idea what will happen. It is a crapshoot. <laughs> it is. I mean, my editor at Penguin, who's, who's wonderful, said Carol DeSante, you know, she said, you know, in an email recently, she said publishing is really tough right now. And it's, uh, and I, I hate saying that. But she said, when I look back over the books I've published, I'm so grateful that I've published so many good ones. So I, I, you just write, you have to write what you have to write. Now, I, I say that, and yet I, immediately as I heard myself say it, I have to also say there's another kind of approach to the novel, and that is I think the talent it takes to write popular fiction, commercial fiction, women's fiction, whatever these different kinds of of names for it, where you write a book and (laughs) that person knows it's going to sell. It's a real talent to have your pulse on, you know, kind of the interests of the public. Um, I'm thinking of writers like Jody. I don't even know how to say her name, Jody Picoult. Picoult, yeah, I think so. I always wonder if it's French. Yeah, she's, you know, her books are always about sort of family issues. And it's just, she seems to always be right at the heart of something that a lot of people care about. 
And that's not even talking about murder mysteries. And I know we do love a murder. We love a murder. Yeah, yeah. But the, it's it's just such a huge range of possibility, which is why you have to write what you want to because you have no idea. I mean, like you start a novel and a year from now, the whole horizon will look different out there. So how do you, I mean, you've talked about, you know, with each of your novels that you've written, that they were structured completely differently. So how did you, I mean, that may be how you've come up with, you know, revision techniques that are so varied and able to accommodate different kinds of books. But how do you keep kind of the morale and momentum when every time you're writing a book, it feels like you don't get that comfort of, I've done this before, it's going to be fine. It's sort of like, oh, this is a whole new frontier. I mean, how do you how do you grapple with that? Well, I mean, the, when I said I'm working on a novel, this would be my eighth. And with a, with a more recent book of short fiction, and I, I think you have to not think about it. <laughs> hey, is every time it com- comes into your mind, I, I tell my, my daughter is a worry wart. She's a single mom and she's got a lot of things to worry about. And I told her every, and so she perseverates. Is that the word where you think about it, think about it, think yep. about it? Yeah. So I tell her, tell her when that happens, when you feel that happen, pinch yourself mm. just to remind yourself, I mean, give that yourself that little shot of pain and it'll like pull you out of it. And she says it does. Well, I think that's what you have to do when you start worrying about a novel, too. And I have found, I do, the one, one of the things, and this is, this book is really an, an outcome, as much of anything, besides my own work, it's an outcome of my teaching at the Iowa Summer Writing Festival. I've done that since 1993. Amazing. And um, every summer I've done two workshops of 12 people plus one or two weekends of 12 people. So this we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of, of people who want to write novels. And I just find that one of the things I love about the Iowa workshop is that they, they're not talking about selling or, you know, what's going to happen and will I make a living or whatever. They, they come to that workshop with something they want so much to share. Mm. And so the experience of the week, 12 people, is so intense. And usually they become friends, you know, and stay in touch by email and all that kind of stuff. Um, and some of them have become, close, have become my close friends. Mm. But the thing I see in them, that, that they come to that workshop because they're driven to write to tell a story and and that and different workshops have different feelings um i taught for some years at the squaw valley workshop which Mm -hmm. is kind of famous because that's where amy tan got discovered well i just got the um the monthly newsletter from squaw valley yesterday and it's like there's 22 books being published either right now or within the next couple of months from people who came to that summer workshop. Wow. And the, the, my experience there was that the people who come there are very ambitious. I would say the majority of people who come there already have MFAs. So it's completely different from the Iowa workshop. 
Got and it. it's a completely different experience to work with them because they already are highly skilled and they're really looking for piercing criticism, you know. It's, whereas, whereas at Iowa, I'm usually involved in helping them um, sort of figure out the strategy for the structure of what they're doing. And, um, and I think if, if you're at the level of um, accomplishment already that those Squaw Valley uh, attendees, a lot of them are, um, then you're really um, aware of the competition, of the difficulties, uh, but you're ambitious. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting, and it was exciting to work with them. But I have to say I love the Iowa writers because they, they are not thinking like that. They are thinking about how can I write this book that I've wanted to write for so long? Or do I really have a story? Is my story worth writing? And, and, they, and of course what they learn is yes, yes, do it. Go for it. And I, like last summer, I had, I had, you know, a lot of people writing um, speculative fiction. Mm-hmm. Really, a lot of people writing that now. But one spec, one person's speculative fiction is like another one's not spe- not speculative enough. And and I had, when I think about it, I had not one single person writing, and I had thirty six students, 35 students. And I had not one single person writing a coming of age novel, for example. Wow. Nobody was writing about childhood. And yet I can think of summers where half my students were writing about childhood. It's almost as if there's like something in the air. Right. You know, it's really strange, but it's, it's fun. And I, that, that's how I came to write this book is that I, I, I just sound so pathetic. I was sick when I was sick really for a lot of one year. I was like recurring pneumonia. And and I got very, um, my thinking got pretty blue. And I thought, I'm going to start clearing out the house so that of my stuff so that somebody won't have to do it after I die. Oh, no. Sounds so terrible. But it, it turned out that it was one, it was wonderful because I looked at, photographs I hadn't looked at in years and of course I didn't get rid of anything and then I realized I had dozens of files uh, I mean you know dozens of like notebooks from from those summer classes and and it you know I realized that it constituted a kind of curriculum and that that what I really you know all of a sudden I wasn't thinking about dying I was thinking about turning those notebooks into something that would be helpful to people that don't come into my workshops that, that are working, you know, by themselves or in groups or like your group that, that comes together, which I think is great. Yeah. I love that about it. And I, I think that there is there, I do see this in people that I talk to and who listen to the show and talk to me that there is this kind of area that isn't necessarily addressed as well. Which, which I feel like your books do address, which is there are people who are really love writing and love books and have a story that they want to tell, but they're not ready to commit to a mm-hmm. full MFA or they're, 
concerned about it or they have families or you know busy jobs or whatever and it's just not practical for whatever reason but it doesn't make them less dedicated to writing and having resources like your book gives them a chance to think oh yeah I could go sit in a cafe and work on scenes or oh I could I do have this story here and and how am I going to address revising it and how am I going to think about structure so that's exactly what I what I want to do because I I I think it's I think it's good for the for the culture. It's, you know, it's good for the planet for people to be um, immersed in story and thinking about what matters to them. I, I think I talk in the book about having a having a vision mm. of how the world works, and then realizing that you have you have to develop a vision in this book of this world. And when I say how the world works, I mean, gosh, and I, don't let me get off on politics now, but <laughs> it's so hard not to. Who gets what they want and mm. who, who never does? What happens to people in the world of your book who don't do what they're supposed to? You know, who takes care of the children? You know, what's a good life? You know, all those questions that are part of what kind of person you are, what kind of family you live in, what you think people ought to care about. Here's your chance. Not, never mind what's going to happen to the book at the end. It's your chance to weigh those things for yourself to, and to say, it, well, for example, in, in my books, I, you know, it took me a long time to realize how important a theme this was to me. I, I think one of the things I, I've treated over and over in my novels is that I think that adults are people who take care of children. Mm. And you could, have, you could have an adult who's not married and who has never had a child, but they pay taxes, they support schools, or they don't. You know, who who do they care about? Who are they thinking about? Are they thinking about the next generation? To me, that's important. Now, to another writer, it might not be important. To, to some readers, it might not be. But to me, it is. And so that ends up um, in, in characters and, and in storylines. Um, another, another theme that I think is common across my novels is that Nobody only, it seems like nobody ever owns a house. It's because, you know, it's because of the, the socioeconomic background of, of my family. To own a home was so big a thing, you know. I mean, I grew up in rented houses. Right. And I was on my second marriage and in my mid-30s before I ever was in a home I owned. And it means it means something, you know. And so when when you know when the Republicans casually mention, oh, and we're going to get rid of the mortgage deduction or blah blah blah, blah and I think, well, will that make a difference? You know, to, I live in Montana now, and and I think, what will that mean for the the people that have finally been able to, you know, to buy a house. And maybe maybe they don't make enough money or they don't have enough deductions that it matters. But maybe it does, you know. And you, the things that you care about will just 
bubble up and you learn about yourself. Um, it's also your opportunity to to tell people when you when I say you know in your story you're saying how the world works. You kind of make a choice. Like, are you telling a story about what should happen? Or are you writing a story about what happens if your vision is violated? Right. And I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm not thinking about these things. No, I don't think you are at all. I think about it all the time because I think people often, I mean, I think it's easy and I think that it's, it's natural, maybe not easy, but it's natural to think and seems to be common for people in creative pursuits to think, oh, well, who am I to be doing this? It feels so frivolous, you know, oh, I'm just working on a, a novel or I'm, I'm working on, you know, you hear from people who are doing visual arts or making music or whatever, that it doesn't feel significant when they see difficult and terrible things happening in the world. So who am I to spend time on this when I could be, you know, you are really saying something important. Volunteering or whatever. But I do think that writing stories is just as important as anything else because we need to hear more people's stories. It's been so limited for so long. I think, I, I hope that people don't feel silenced in terms of telling stories because I think we need more rather than fewer. But that's just me. And, and the stories that you have to tell, if you don't tell them, they won't get told. Exactly. You know, it's just as simple as that. And I, and and lots of times I think in writing a novel, the novelist discovers the story rather than going into it with it. They go in thinking they have one story and they find the real story. And and that comes from the novel being long. <laughs> <laughs> long and arduous. It's like uh, cracking away at rock or something. Uh, listen to me, I... I you know, I, I think it's important. That's, I was like, that's why I go to Iowa every summer because, um, I really, I am really feel, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, honored mm. to sort of be a midwife to, to people who, so many of, of the people who come there have never written anything and they go home all fired up and, 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 Every summer, 60% of the people there are repeats. Mm. It's really amazing. Some people have been coming there for 20 years. I can see why. I mean, there's something, you know, there's a lot of, the, it's often hard to write. I mean, you do it alone in most circumstances, and maybe you have groups that you meet with, but I think it is in many ways a solitary pursuit. So being able to be a part of a community that supports writing and understands what it's like I think that makes such a difference. You know, one one of the things I'd like to be sure to say is that in my book, I, I, I am not pushing a definition of the novel. I'm not saying this is the way a novel has to be. Um, so, so many of the books on writing now are based on writing screenplays mm-hmm. and, and that whole concept of the story. And that's one kind of story. But I, I think, um, you know, you, you have to have a, a kind of arrow that shoots through your story. But how it's structured, what it's about, there are so many things open to you. And 
no, you can write it the way you want to. You can make up a new way. The book that was published this last summer of mine called Swim, Stories of the 60s, I, I, for so many years I wanted to write a novel about this character, and I never could, I never could figure out a structure. And then it just came to me like waking up one morning that I, what I really had was three three really long stories. Mm. And each, each one has its own arc, but they're all about the same character. And, and so that, I did that instead of a novel, but in a way it's just another way of telling a long story. Um, and then that excited me so that when, when I'm working on something now, I'm saying I'm gonna I'm gonna do something I haven't done before structurally. And you you raised that issue earlier that um, my novels have been structured differently, and it's because of whatever whatever sort of the impulse or the sense of urgency for the story, it seemed to come with its own demand for a shape. Um, like, uh, you know, one a book called Walking Dunes is about high school kids in West Texas in 1959. So it's just logical to have it be the school year, right? Right. That one wasn't even hard. Um, one called, um, yeah, I have to think, um, A Chance to See Egypt, which is actually a, takes place in Mexico. I wrote that. I worked on that book when my during a time that my daughter was ill. She was in college and she had to take a semester off. When she would go to bed at night, I would work on this book for a couple of hours. And I knew I didn't want to do anything heavy, you know. And so I just sort of started playing with the idea of writing a novel this, the way that people tell tales, that they tell sort of uh, folk tales. Mm. And so it had a kind of surface quality where people are playing out their roles, but not not the kind of deep character uh, exploration of, of my other books. And, and so it, you know, it was very kind of playful for me because that's what I needed right then. You know, I needed to, to write something that I knew was going to have a happy ending where characters are good, but they have problems. I, you know, all those things. I needed them because um, right then life was hard. And so, so it, it just appeared as a way to to balance my worries with something that was light rather than heavy. Um, yeah. So each so each book, you know, just sort of had some impulse that made it happen. Yeah, I love the idea that that books are or concepts for books show up with their own needs. That it it isn't kind of all on you as the writer to come up with everything. I always feel like the phrase come up with sounds exhausting and very <laughs> difficult. Like you're your own donkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to haul the whole thing out rather than, you know, it's showed up and you kind of work with it and that you build something out of that, about that connection. 
one of my um, past students, who's a really close friend now, she said, she's, this is really funny, she just said to me a day or two ago on the phone, she said, I, I think it's terrific that you've written this book on revision. She said, but you know, you really should write a book on the first draft. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I laughed, you know, I thought of it as a joke. And then I got to thinking about it. And I thought, you know, I don't know if it's a book, but maybe it's an essay. I would because, read that book. Absolutely. You know, I, I, so now I'm going to go back through all those files and see what I've got. I may do uh, the first draft. Amazing. Because um, the, the, I think the main theme would be go into it with an open heart and an open mind and see what happens, you know, see what comes. Don't go into it with an outline of a screenplay, the hero's journey or act one, act two, act three, or whatever. Go into it. Years and years ago, I read a wonderful essay by the um, writer Carol Shields. Do you remember her? She was the Canadian writer. I mean, she won a Pulitzer in America because she had been born in America. But anyway, she wrote a book saying, structure? What's that? Nice. <laughs> how she started writing a story, and the story told her how to write it. And I always give that book to my, to my workshop students because it's a completely different way of thinking about it that you, you not only have to just – you go in with a story concept, and, and you let the structure emerge – rather than going in with a template and fitting everything to it. I think that sounds so much more enjoyable in many ways. I hope that you do write that book because then we can have you on again to talk about it because it's been so great speaking with you. It's really fun. Where do you live? I live in LA. I had no idea. Well, I don't think I'll be getting to LA, but if I do, I'll have to be sure to get in touch. I <laughs> hope I would, so. That would be I so would great. I would love to meet you and your group. <laughs> I would love that too. They would love to meet you. Thank you for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading.